This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Zakia Dalila Harris, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. All the way from Brooklyn. Yes, yes. <laughs> our, I always forget how wild our time difference is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because you're having dinner and I've just had breakfast. But yeah. yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's real time. Yes. <laughs> Let me introduce you because we don't know a lot about you here yet in Australia, but we're going to very shortly. <laughs> Zakia is a writer from Connecticut who now lives in New York. She has a Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from the New School. She spent three years working in publishing before writing her debut novel, The Other Black Girl, inspired by her own experiences as a black woman in a white-dominated industry. The novel sparked a huge publishing bidding war and the TV rights of all already sold with the thrilling dark social satire set to become a hit. It's an incredible story and believe it or not, there's just so many parallels to my life, even though <laughs> I'm I'm miles older than you. But let's talk about <laughs> I can't. I'm so curious. I'm like, oh, I hope was it the Greece? <laughs> well, I agree wholeheartedly that publishing is a very wide industry. It is the same mm. in Australia. And I worked in it for three years. So I started off in retail. I mean, I started mm-hmm. working at a public library and then I was a mm-hmm. bookseller and then I was a book buyer. And then I start, I got my first job in publishing, which was such a privilege. However, I was the only person of colour and that was just Lebanese Australian, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was really surprised at the lack of diversity and it continues. The people selecting and telling the stories mm. are really all largely white people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's one of those things too, I think until you're as someone who's worked in it, right behind the scenes, we know what that means, right? We know how every step of the way that affects who's getting published, what books we're hearing about, what's getting talked about then one year, two years, whenever the book comes out later, like the people who are sitting at that table uh, control so much of it, right? And a lot of consumers, I don't think really know that. So I kind of wanted to get into, you know, the the man behind the curtain, so to speak, of, of who's pulling the strings and also why, why we should think about that and why we should be concerned about how non-diverse it is. Yeah. It's interesting because we talk about the selection process and 
what I think, I think they do an excellent job. I love them. It's where a lot of great books have come from. And, you know, I tend to think that it's the reason why self-published books don't work because, you know, books that go through publishers really get their professional treatment, if you like, the editorial process, as you well know, uh, the messaging, the marketing, the publicity, and they do a really, really good job. And we know that because we've read so many good books over the years. Now, if you were to say to people in publishing, we need more diverse stories, what really surprises me is how shocked they are about that, you know? And then I look at editors and publishers in this country and probably 90% of them are white Australians. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting because I do think, I mean, specifically with publishing, I think that the need for diversity also is not just what books are being published. Um, it's it's who is working there. And, but yeah, I mean, I also think that the problem is a lot of people have different definitions of what diversity also means for publishing authors. I know there are here definitely a large number of Nigerian authors who are published, Nigerian-American, um, all throughout the diaspora, uh, still not the numbers it should be, but definitely a decent um, representation. Yeah. But in terms of Black American writers, it's like, well, like, how are, are we getting them into this space? Or is it accessible for them as well to write books and have them published and have their voices be heard? And, and I think, you know, that's something I as a Black woman think about in terms of like, how oftentimes I think Black people, we have to cannibalize each other in a way because there's such, there's so little space for all of us um, and what that means and how to, again, just, I mean, I could go on, sorry, about how they, my thoughts about diversity and publishing, but it's a big, big thing. And I think, you know, until we start dismantling kind of certain, the way we think, the way we hire, uh, even the terms we use, I think can make a big difference. Uh, we, you know, one by one, step by step, we need to look at it uh, mm-hmm. rather than just the blanket term of diversity too, mm-hmm. you know? And you know what I think? I think we shouldn't be fearful that we should go for the jobs and I think we should work there. And, you know, people often ask me about yeah. my time there. It's It was important. It was important for, for mm-hmm. them to hear a different voice, but it was also yes. important for me, you know, to gain yeah. that experience. And, right. um, you know, it's a two-way relationship, of course. Hey, did yeah. you see the TV series Younger? Oh, my gosh. You know, I actually started watching it shortly after I started querying publishers because everyone would ask me, have you seen Younger? And I needed something to do with my time while I was like waiting for, you know, (laughs) everything to for the book, not knowing what was going to happen. And I binge watched almost the entire series like two years ago. Um, I haven't watched the latest season, though. Okay, well, I binge watched it very, very recently. Somebody told me about it. Um, yeah. I'm not good with television. Anyway, so I binge watched <laughs> it and I did enjoy it. It was hugely funny. But did you, it's notice, so funny. Did you notice the lack of diversity? I mean, I did. I did. But you know what is interesting about that show? Um, I am of two minds. I think because, because I worked in publishing again, I know that that show is ridiculous on a lot of levels like we know that publishing doesn't work that way in a lot of ways and so I think for me the diversity problem like the lack of diversity was huge but there were so many other glaring things as well that I was like this is a complete escape for me because this is not my experience yeah yeah I loved it I absolutely (laughs) loved loved it too and I guess yeah because we you and I had worked in it I really loved it and I loved 
for me too, it was noticing the difference between Australian publishing, I guess, and mm-hmm. uh, and American publishing. And I often wondered, oh, is that how they do it over there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I actually hadn't thought about that, that yeah. other countries would be watching and be like, oh, this must be. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, in our, you know, over here in publishing culture, authors tend not to pitch to publishers. It's the way other way around. Publishers no, yeah. to authors. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yes. That's huh. how it works here. Because, I wow. mean, publishers are always trying to win an author over. Whereas I noticed in that the authors usually were in the meeting room pitching. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. So our podcast is about the stories behind the story. So how you came mm-hmm. to writing. So I want to go right back to, yeah. where, you know, to uh, Connecticut or where, where you grew up and how you came to the love of writing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I have always wanted to write. Uh, that was my biggest love as a kid. Um, I, I think I had a diary when I was like six. It was like a little Mickey Mouse diary. I would write like my gripes in first grade, like <laughs> no, nothing serious, but I loved putting a pen to a page. And as I got a little older, I started writing stories by hand in notebooks. And then I would, once I learned how to type, I would type them up on my computer and print them out. And um, so I was always of that mindset. I was a big reader too. I mean, I loved the Goosebumps series was yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, Roald Dahl, I loved Matilda, the BFG. Um, so many of his stories. And yeah, I mean, I I was really into it. And then once I turned 11 or 12, um, I was a big reader of American Girl magazine, which I I would be surprised if it made it to Australia. But it's like the the people who make the American Girl doll line here, they also had a magazine for uh, young people. And it would be like recipes and arts and crafts guides and like advice column for young people and like another segment was stories like writing and uh there was a prompt that asked me to or not asked me but asked readers to uh write a story accompanying the photo this this illustration and it was one of a girl looking at a uh take something in her hand Uh, she's standing by a mailbox and she's like oh my goodness and then her two friends are next to her like with similar faces of like, ah, what's happening? And I took that and I made a story. Basically the girl in my story won two tickets for a concert with her favorite artist. And she could only bring, of course, one friend. And that's what the story is about. Uh, But my story won the contest uh, and it was published in the magazine. And I got like, they made a little book out of it. I still have it in my bookcase, actually. Um, Yeah. So I think for me, like I, I wasn't a particularly confident or like outgoing person. I was very introverted, loved reading, loved writing. But for me, that showed me, you know, how I could use those skills that I loved um and win this thing that beat out a bunch of other a bunch of other writers and so that was a big confidence booster for me and then as I got a little older you know I was I was taking English classes loved those the most and in college I uh majored in English literature and uh, also studied writing and then I did my master's in fine arts and creative writing a few years after that so so writing's always been in my mind somehow. I was I was also uh, writing book reviews when I was doing my master's degree, trying to do a lot more nonfiction actually, uh, because that's what my degree in uh, graduate school was. It was a nonfiction writing, not fiction, uh, which is always kind of interesting for people to hear because I think, I mean, 
It's interesting though for me, for people to find it interesting because the book, The Other Black Girl, is a lot of it parts of me that I was parsing out uh, in my early 20s of Nella's not worrying if she's Black enough, worrying if she fits into Wagner enough, like that constant like twister kind of game that she plays is one that I experienced. So that was very much an easy, in a lot of ways, easy to meld my my experiences with hers. Um, and then I, I, of course, worked in publishing. So tell me about that. So how, how did you get yeah. And why that? Yeah. Happened. Yeah. So, so I, as I mentioned, I'd done my MFA in nonfiction writing. And in those two years, I got really into just, I love talking with other writers about their work and structure. And um, I had a professor at the, the new school, which is where I got my master's. And she, I just remember her saying, you know, I never have to edit you. Your writing is always so clean. And to me, that was like the best possible thing. Like I loved grammar as a kid. Like that was my favorite thing. I was always so good at it. And she was like, have you ever thought about getting a job in publishing? And I was like, have I ever thought about getting a job? Like I had tried for years to get internships and, and anything that I could possibly get like entry level. Um, and I never heard back because I found out later they get so many here. It's mm. uh, publishing is one of those jobs that so many people wanted to work in. And so she, uh, I believe she knew someone who knew someone who knew someone or some kind of connection, uh, knew a a black woman who worked there, um, not an editorial, I I believe in a different capacity, but still someone in the building. And a few months later I got an interview. And then a a little after that, I got another interview and the rest is is history, I guess. (laughs) Tell me um, about your experience there because you finally get your dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's interesting because I felt the same way when I moved from yeah. being a bookseller to publishing. I thought, wow, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on the other side. So talk to me about your first response, how you felt. Yeah, I mean, I felt elated. Yeah. Like, I had never, I moved to the city, to Brooklyn in 2014. And it's one of those cities that, will really either chew you up or like you have to just like really roll with everything and hope for the best. And I know after I finished my graduate program, which is what I moved here for in 2016, I was like, okay, I have to find a job. Like I I can't stay here if I don't find something that will be stable and, you know, be something that I'm enjoying doing too, because the city can be hard if you don't love what you're doing. Uh, So to get this job and have insurance Uh, the benefits. I knew exactly when I had vacation time, I had sick time, all of those things. I'd worked in service jobs before. I'd worked at a cupcake shop. I'd worked at a pie shop. I worked at a, well, I hadn't worked at a cupcake shop yet. That came after publishing, after I quit. But I'd worked in so many different uh, customer service jobs and I loved them. But of course, the benefits don't come with those. Um, So being in a place where I had that was really great. And then of course, working with authors, working with so many different amazing authors. Um, One of them was Ken Burns. uh, And just like being behind the scenes was really exciting and getting to have these conversations about structure and books and what people were talking about. um, I felt really lucky. But then, of course, as the only, only Black woman in editorial, which is something that I quickly became aware of, but I had also been used to being the only black girl as a kid when I grew up in Connecticut. Like that was, I grew up in mostly white and mostly white neighborhood and went to mostly white elementary school. So like I was pretty used to like navigating that world. 
but also not because I'd never worked in publishing. There's a whole language. There's a class, a big class thing. The pay isn't that great. Uh, so it was a lot of like navigating that of being so happy to be there, but then of course being the only one wondering why I was the only one still in 2016 this was when I started. Um, and just like feeling, you know, as an assistant, you can only you can only do or say so much too. And that I think anybody in that position, it, it's hard as well to adjust to being in the role of, you know, you're, you're kind of making everything work behind the scenes in a lot of ways. And you're, I don't know, you're just, you're, you're not yourself as much as you would be maybe in another position. You know what I mean? It surprised me um, reading your book that, that you were the only black person in editorial. I, I just thought for <laughs> well, some reason. Only, there was an older black man who yeah. had been there for like 40 years, right. but very different. Uh, yeah. I, I was really surprised by that, that in this day and age that that was still happening in the United mm-hmm. States. I mean, it's certainly mm-hmm. happening here, but I was surprised yeah. by that. Okay. So you yeah. worked in that job for how many years? I was there for like two and a half, three years. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, I was the same. I was there three years. For me, it felt like a degree in learning about publishing. Yes. Did you find it? Yes, absolutely. And I still, I mean, I'm still in touch with so many people from that world and I still have that those publishing-isms in me. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So did you think at the time while you were working there that you wanted to write? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, The whole time I was there, I was freelancing. I was ghostwriting. I was, yeah. So I was still doing all of that until I got promoted and I was an assistant editor, which meant more responsibility, which also meant less work, which is less time to do my own thing, which is part of what got me to be like, okay, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so when did you start writing The Other Black Girl? Talk to me about the creation of that, how that came to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I started writing it in January 2019. So I mentioned that I'd gotten promoted. um, And uh, this was in 2018 when I was promoted. And so a few months after that, I was already like, ah, I don't know if I want all this extra responsibility, which is what I wanted when I started, right? Like, you know, grass is always greener. But so I'm having those moments, those thoughts in my mind. And then um, I happened to be washing my hands in the bathroom one day at work and um, standing at the sink. Another black woman comes out of the bathroom stall and 
I'm like, oh my God, who is this person? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what are you about? Cause like, I normally like, you know, yeah. I can, I spot the other people of color immediately in that environment because again, I was, there were so few of us. And I think that I kind of like tried to catch your eye. It's funny looking back on it. I know that I wanted us to talk, but I'm also, like I mentioned earlier, an introvert. And so I was kind of hoping we'd like both come to this decision to talk. Um, but there is nothing happen, happening. And uh, I went back to my desk and I was thinking the whole time, I was like, why were you so like desperate in that moment? <laughs> like, why were you, what were you expecting? Why were you putting all of this, all of these expectations on this interaction with this random person, um, this random black woman? And of course I realized immediately it's because there are no other black women on this floor. And I had been raised as someone who like, nods at other black people like other people of color but especially black people when we're in spaces like this because if you guys if we don't have that kind of interaction it's like I don't know it just feels like that's what I was raised to do and that's the right I I, I feel the same way I do it too yeah when I made another Lebanese Australian or a Greek Australian or Italian Australian whatever to me there's a nod there's yeah and I, I you know I probably didn't even know I'd did it until you pointed that yeah you do yeah it's an acknowledgement of sorts isn't it oh totally I mean I think I think for a while it's like I, I think especially for me because you know I didn't have my first real group of black girlfriends black friends until college um I didn't have a lot of certain experiences until I was older that if I had grown up with more diverse people and more black people especially uh I know my life would have been very different in a lot of ways or at least like how I the things about me I think my hair my relationship with my hair my relationship with my blackness would have been different and so I think especially and that's what I try to get at with Nella right because Nella hasn't has also been wanting those kind of things and she has that now with Malika but with Hazel she's really hoping that this will be another black friend someone else that is the community for her and I think that's something that we do I think that especially marginalized groups of people do out of survival but also out of just kinship and connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's as simple yeah. as that. Okay. So back right. to the book. Back to the book. <laughs> so, so then you started, you thought you're going to write your own story. When did you? Yeah. So after that interaction, sorry, I went on a That's tangent. Right. Um, after that interaction, yeah, I went back to my desk um, and I started writing chapter one in my cubicle oh um, my of her smelling the grease. Yeah. That yeah, immediate. So hair grease. That, it was like instant I, I actually messaged one of my good friends a writer friend to be like hey I have this idea for this book like what if I have this book with two black women who meet in a really white workplace and then everything gets weird and that was that was the thing that was the thread that I just kept pulling and pulling and I was writing it I think on my Knopf stationery and <laughs> like answering emails and then going back to it and like staying up late and it just took off for me Wow, extraordinary story. Um, there's lots of things I like about The Other Black Girl, but one is that it's kind of nobody's the good guy. Yes. That was really important for me 
because for one, as someone who just loves thrillers, loves horror, uh, sci-fi, like as a genre, um, especially movies and TV, I like when characters are more complicated than good and bad, black and white, because that's how the real world is. Like we we are flawed, we are beautiful, we can be both of those things at once. And I think especially with, with black women and black characters, um, we're not really often given that chance to be complex. Um, we can just easily be dismissed. You know, there's the angry black woman trope. And so I wanted to really show, you know, while Nella is struggling to find her voice in some cases and sometimes has a hard time, I also wanted to show other women who are not having a hard time. Kendra Ray um, had her own hard time, but she still spoke up. Um, but her results were different too. And again, like what, I want this book to inspire conversations about what people said in this book and why they said them and, and how could we have changed what happened to the characters? Um, Cause I want, I want readers to really feel invested in the people in these pages. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you now have a book and I'm imagining, this is what I'm imagining and correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So you're connected. So surely it must be easy to get published, right? You've got all the connections, you know, people, but at the same time, I think that might make things worse. Because you're yeah. worried about <laughs> your colleagues, you know, what are they? Yes. Gonna, what am I thinking? So I think yes. it is double trouble in a way, isn't it? <laughs> it's definitely a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I will say that I I queried an agent I never worked with, uh, who I'd never heard of, actually, to be honest, before a, a colleague uh, recommended her to me, Stephanie Dalman, because um, I had explained my story before. Of course, I had an agent. I explained my book to someone, and it's a, it's out there, and there's yeah. a lot going on. It's like, how yeah. do you sell this? Um, but so, I mean, I, I I did cold email people I'd never heard of. But you're right. I knew I knew the system, and I think that that's another thing of how it speaks to the diversity issue. Is like, I had a sense of how the system works, but a lot of people, black, white, like, don't know how the system works. So getting through that is hard enough um, as it is. But yeah, I mean, I think knowing how the sausage gets made was especially, was especially difficult for, I think, when I was in the early stages, honestly, though, trying to find an agent. Um, I'm not sure if the order of things is also the same in Australia, but um, yeah. Yeah, before anything, I found my agent. And I think knowing knowing how many submissions agents get in, like I had friends who were agents and agents' assistants, and knowing how snap judgments are made, and I understand because they get all of this content. I think for me, that was hard. And also knowing my book, again, is just a hard thing to, to navigate. Is it horror? Is it suspense? Is it th- like... And were you worried <laughs> at some point that somebody's going to read and say, oh, actually, you can't write? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course. Of course, because I told all my coworkers yeah. I'd quit to, <laughs> to write this book. So it's like I had to prove myself. And... And it was, but you know, it was really satisfying, I have to say, though, because we we did end up submitting this book to both of the places I worked. And both of my colleagues and a lot of reception I've gotten from my colleagues is that they're, they really enjoyed it. Um, and they also, 
I mean, I think that they joke about trying to find people who that, you know, that were obvious that I was writing about, but I wasn't trying to do any of that. I think I really wanted to make, I mean, the people are ridiculous in the book and I really wanted to comment on, on that, on the the ridiculousness of publishing sometimes. And, and it's really, a lot of them are amalgamation of lots of different personalities I've encountered and also heard about. (laughs) Okay. So there's getting published and there's getting published, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You really got published. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) So don't be shy about this. There's debut fiction and there's debut fiction. I mean, what a success (laughs) this has been. And already TV rights have been sold. So tell me about firstly how you feel when when someone even picked it up because as you and I know, not all books get picked up. (laughs) No, no. When it was picked up for TV? Yeah. No, yeah. no, just picked up to be published. Oh, just picked up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, right, we yeah. know the sausage. Again, I think yeah. that's the other thing is like there are so many good stories. I read so many good stories and good proposals for books when I was mm-hmm. an editorial assistant that for various reasons that really had sometimes nothing to do with the authors, we just couldn't buy and maybe it had to do with the fact that we'd already published a book that was in a similar space or you know how much money should we offer well someone else is probably gonna offer them more and all of those things that go into it that have very little to do with the quality of the writing although that's always of course taken uh, into account too I'm not trying to downplay that but lots of forces at play so to to feel like this book was I mean, to get an agent was incredible. If I had just gotten one publisher, I would have been ecstatic because that was all I wanted. Like just one person interested, that's all you need. Um, So to have the response has been surreal and it's also very meta. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then TV. Yeah. So TV, it was another thing. Like I wasn't even thinking about TV, to be honest with you. That was not in my mind. Um, And at first I was like, okay, maybe. But the more I talked to people about how it could look and what a show would look like and how we could really build on the characters and the setting and really get into spaces that I couldn't get into before with the book, uh, that's been really rewarding. And my team, uh, Temple Hill and Tara Duncan um, and Hulu, all of all of them want me to be involved as much as I want to be. They want me co-writing. And um, I was nervous at first. It's my first rodeo, but um, I've had a lot of fun. And my co-writer, Rashida Jones, has really been amazing and taken me under her wing. Yeah, wow. Congratulations. I'm so happy Thank for you. all your success. I think you you know, you. you deserve it. And, and, you know, as most writers do, but, you know, um, it's really just such a terrific start to your yeah. career, isn't it? So do you call yourself a writer now? <laughs> I do. Name? You do? I <laughs> do. I didn't before, but I think I, I, think I might have burned it. I don't know. I, I think you might have. I think you might have. <laughs> so, Gia, thank you so much for your time today. I have really enjoyed our chat. Oh, me too, Cheryl. Me too. I appreciate you having me on. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. 
We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.